Um, this morning, I want you, before we even start, I, I do want you to find a Bible this morning. Even if you're not accustomed to doing that, even though the verses are going to be up here, even your device, your phone, if you Google Mark 16, you will find where we're going to be. You'll see, I think, in a moment why, why I want you to have that in front of you. This morning's Easter sermon is going to come uh, from Mark chapter 16, and I'm going to talk about Mark 16 verses 1 through 8 as if they're the last verses in the gospel of Mark. Because there are verses 9 through 20 in all of our Bibles, I got to spend just a minute explaining why I'm convinced verse 8 is the last verse. You don't have to agree with me. It, it's okay, but if I talk about this as the last verse of the Gospel of Mark, uh, and there's obviously verses after it, you're going to have some questions that are going to hang you up for the rest of the time while I'm talking. So, very quickly, or relatively quickly, very might be a stretch, relatively quickly, I want, you, I want to walk you through why I think the Gospel of Mark ends after verse 8. This is, not, this is not a heresy issue. You don't have to agree with me. It is fine. We can be friends and go to church together and all that stuff, even if you don't want to agree with this. But if you have a Bible open, you will notice, unless you have the King James, there's some sort of footnote at verse 9 that gives you some indication that maybe what follows wasn't in the original. It might say some early manuscripts don't have this. There might be brackets around it. There might be a break in the text, the line through it. But there, there is, there's something there that says, eh, maybe not. But if Mark stops at verse 8, he stops very abruptly. So let's read it. And then we'll talk about why I think Mark stopped at verse 8 and then what happens. Let's read Mark 16, just verses 1 through 8. They read this way. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might come and anoint him. That's Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Verse 5. Entering the, the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. Or your Bible might say astonished, or it might say something like really scared. They're all right. And the angel said to the women, Do not be amazed or afraid. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here's the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is, a going, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And verse 8 says, They went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment or fear had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, if Mark stopped right there, 
Do you feel like there should be more to the story? Maybe there's not. Here's why. You can look at two things when looking at uh, the few textual variants we have in the Bible. First, I want you to know that we don't have any original copies of any books of our Bible. Any originals, not copies, any originals. Autographs, they're called. What we have in, in the, for the New Testament in the ancient Greek is manuscripts, they're called. They're just copies of copies of copies of copies of the original. And we have lots of them. Now, the earliest or the oldest of those, obviously, the older they are, the fewer we have. The oldest complete manuscripts of Mark stop after verse 8. Also, the church fathers, which is just really old church leaders or church leaders from a long time ago, like a guy named Clement of Alexandria and a guy named Origen, they wrote about the book of Mark around A.D. 200. They were familiar with Mark. They wrote about it. And they don't mention anything about any verses after verse 8. They just weren't aware of them, if there were any. A hundred years later, a guy named Eusebius. A hundred years after that, a guy named Jerome. Those two men, they wrote about the Gospel of Mark, and they do mention what's called the longer ending of Mark. But they write that they are not aware of any Greek manuscripts that have the longer ending. So it seems it was actually written in a different language, probably uh, Aramaic or maybe Latin. Well, after that point, after the year 300, 400, most of the manuscripts that we have that are in Greek do have verses 9 through 20, do have a longer ending. But a lot of those have notes in the margins like asterisks and a note that says the earliest Greek manuscripts don't have what I'm copying down here. And then one more piece of what's called external evidence, not from Mark, from history. There are actually four different longer endings to Mark in the Greek manuscripts. We're familiar with verses 9 through 20 because that's what made it into the King James Bible. But if you have the New American Standard, like one of our pew Bibles open, look clear down at the bottom and there's this little paragraph in italics. That's another alternate ending of Mark that winds up in the Greek manuscripts. But it's not just the external evidence, just from inside what Mark did write. Verses 9 through 20 that we didn't read this morning, read it on your own. They're very different, in my opinion, from the rest of the book of Mark. In style, in vocabulary, and in message. Verses 9 through 20 are full of signs and wonders that supposedly prove that Christianity is true. There were signs and wonders. Jesus did them. The apostles did them. The problem is, Mark wasn't a huge fan of them. The way Mark told his story, visible signs were never enough to make people believe. So that's different. Now, I'm not telling you you're doing anything wrong if you want to continue to believe verses 16 through 20. Either Mark wrote them or that God intended someone to add them later. 
It's fine. It's not like if someone like me believes Mark stopped there that we're trying to hide any of the rest of the information. They're in your Bibles. They're in Matthew and Luke and John. It's in there. I just don't think Mark wrote it. But did, did Mark stop too soon? Why did he throw the shoots so fast on the story? Well, first, all four Gospels have different ending points. That Mark stopped, quote-unquote, too early puts him in good company because the other Gospels stop at different points also. Luke is the only Gospel that has all four of these things. The empty tomb, resurrection appearances by Jesus to other people, the Great Commission, and Jesus' ascension. The other Gospels leave out at least one of those things. So they all stop in different places. And Mark wasn't hiding any of that stuff either. He has already assumed all that stuff, all four of those things will happen because Jesus predicted them in Mark while he was alive. He told the disciples, we're going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to beat me up something fierce and execute me. But I'm going to rise again from the dead. He told them, I will appear to you. He told them the gospel must be preached to all nations. There's the Great Commission. And he told them, I will ascend to the right hand of my Father. So all that stuff is in Mark. I just don't think it's at the end. Now, if Mark ended that abruptly, and I think what happened is over the years, people thought, there's more to this story. And and people started trying to help Mark out by taking information that is from the other Gospels, except for that part about handling snakes and drinking poison. That's just kind of weird. And putting it in to help Mark's message. But this morning, I want to share with you what I think was Mark's point by stopping where he stopped. So now, finally... We're ready for the actual sermon. And I want you to know, if we're in search of a happier ending at the end of Mark, that just might be possible. So here's what we read. Where we opened this morning was toward the end of the Jesus story. On Friday, Jesus was crucified. And... In Mark's telling of the gospel, all of his male disciples scattered. We know John told us that he made an appearance at the foot of the cross, but all of the rest of the disciples ran away. They fled from Jesus' arrest and his cross. Only these women that Mark has just introduced to us in this book, only they followed Jesus all the way to the cross. And because they were there, they become very important witnesses. Here's what they witness. They witness it really was their friend Jesus. They had been following Jesus since his days in Galilee. When they looked up on the cross, they identified the victim. That's really our friend Jesus on the cross. They knew he really did die. And they followed as a man named Joseph of Arimathea buried Jesus or entombed Jesus in his family tomb. So they knew, they knew who the, that he was killed he was really dead, and they knew the place he was buried. The rest of Jesus' disciples didn't know that stuff. 
because they ran away, scared that what happened to Jesus could maybe happen to them. So very early on that Sunday morning, these women who knew who he was, knew he had died, knew where he had been entombed, they gathered spices because they wanted to go do for their friend Jesus what they didn't have time to do on Friday, which is give him a respectful burial. They wanted to anoint his body. They didn't do embalming. All they did was smear stuff over bodies that smelled better than, well, you know. That was the respectful thing to do. So that Sunday morning, they had spices. They're headed back to try to do that. They're talking to one another, Mark says, not knowing. We don't even know how we're going to get in there when we get there. We saw that huge stone they rolled in front of that. Let you know how big this stone was. Three grown women, no strangers to hard work. Thought they had no chance of getting in that tomb. But when they get there, they're surprised to find. They're pleased to find, I think. Hey, someone rolled the stone away already. They're not scared yet. They think they've caught a break. Maybe they thought Joseph of Arimathea had the, had the same idea they had. That he came with his friends and they rolled the stone away. So they, when they get there, they just go right inside the tomb to do the job they planned on doing all along. But when they get inside, Mark doesn't use the normal word for, for an angel. But when they get inside the tomb, these women see an angel. Mark calls him a, a young man dressed in a white robe. So maybe at first they thought that's what he was, but that's not the normal response to seeing a boy. Mark uses a word, um, ekthembeo is the Greek word, it, it just means they were moved to an extremely intense emotional state by being shocked and afraid. So they see this, by the way, Matthew tells us it's an angel. And they're really scared. Now as often as the, is the case in scriptures, when an angel shows up to people, an angel usually has a message from God to human beings. That's what angels most commonly do in the Bible. This time it's no different. The angel says to these women a message in several parts. First part is this. Everybody calm down. This is not time to panic. Don't be afraid. Don't be alarmed. He uses the same word. However your Bible translates the way they were feeling, the angel tells them don't feel like that. Don't be scared. Don't panic. Then the angel tells them second, good news. I know you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified, that guy. He has been raised. He's not here. Again, it wasn't his ideas. It wasn't his faith system. This wasn't we've got to keep hope alive and carry on his memory. The dude, the guy, Jesus, all of him, was raised back to life, and he walked out of that tomb. And then... The angel tells these women a, sort of a two-part order. Go and tell. Go and tell. First, verse 7. Go, tell his disciples. What's it say next? Tell his disciples, even Peter. Don't miss that part. All of the disciples had failed Jesus. 
they, they panicked and ran away. Uh, before that, he asked some of them, hey, stay awake. Would you pray with me? I'm really struggling here. They, they wouldn't stay awake. They fell asleep. They ran away. All of them failed Jesus. But none of them failed as spectacularly as Peter. Peter is the one who tried to hang in there a little while. He followed Jesus to the courtyard where the authorities took him after his arrest. But while he was there, someone recognized him and the way he talked, his accent. Hey, you're a Galilean. You followed Jesus. And Peter denied Christ. Here's what that means. He just said three times, I don't know that guy. I would never follow a clown like that. He, he, it's hard to overstate how strongly Peter did it. The Bible tells us with curses, he denied Christ. In our vernacular, he said something like, may I be damned to hell if I ever followed a clown like that guy. So after the resurrection, the angel gives these women very specific instructions. Go find all Jesus' disciples, even Peter. Even the one who's blown it the worst. There is good news tucked inside the good news there, my friends. You ever felt like if God really knows what I've done, there's no way he could be okay with me. If Peter gets the invite, Jesus wants you to follow him again. Jesus wants to reconcile with you, Peter. If Peter gets the invite, any of us can have the invite. Go find his disciples, even especially Peter. And tell them, here's what the angel says next, basically. Tell them Jesus meant all that stuff he said before. Tell him he's going ahead of you into Galilee and you will see him there just as he told you. Go make sure his disciples, even Peter, hear this. Remember when he told you they were going to kill him? He meant that. Remember when he told you uh, that he was going to not stay dead and rise again? He meant that. And remember when he told you you were going to see him again? He meant that. Remember when he told you you were going to scatter? He meant that. But remember when he told you you would be invited back in? He meant that. So the message from the angel to the disciples is sort of this. The predicted and required and prescribed sequel to the cross has happened. The resurrection. So now, disciples, the predicted and the required sequel to your failure can happen. Being reunited with Jesus after he has paid for your sin. Now, up to this point, these women have outdiscipled the disciples. They're the only ones who followed all the way to the cross, all the way to his burial site, and they came back on Sunday morning while the disciples are cowering in fear. But it's not just here they've outdiscipled the disciples. Go back through the Gospels. 
The, the men we call the disciples, the 12, they spend most of their time like doing stuff like trying to call down judgment and vengeance on their enemies, arguing over who's the greatest, jockeying for position, wanting to be served. And these women just stay in the background anonymous. They serve others. They just serve Jesus and serve his friends. And they serve and they serve and they serve. It's almost like they were actually paying attention when Jesus said, guys, if you want to be great, be a great. If you want to be great, be a great servant. They've out-discipled the disciples. Until we get to verse 8. Because in verse 8, we read this. Then these women went out and ran from the tomb for terror and bewilderment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. I don't know if you picked up on this, but that's not a good response. It might be understandable, but it's wrong. In fact, it's the exact opposite of right. Remember what the angel told him first? Do not be afraid, and then go and tell. And their response is they get super afraid and then they decide not to tell anybody because they're so afraid. Fear has almost been a character in Mark's gospel by this point. Do you know that? Most of you know these stories. Clear back at the beginning of their time together, Jesus and his disciples, he, they got in a boat, they rode out into the middle, they sailed out in the middle of this huge lake, and a storm started, a violent storm. It's tossing waves over the side of the boat, and the disciples get very afraid. What's Jesus doing? He's asleep. It's in chapter 4, and they come to Jesus, they wake him up, and they say some really inappropriate stuff. To Jesus. They accuse him, you don't even care. We are going to die, obviously, and you don't even care. You could do something about this when you refuse. All the... And Jesus calls them cowards. Their fear was their problem. He calls them cowards with no faith, and then immediately he calms not just the storm, the water too. Read it. Next time, Jesus puts his disciples alone in a boat. He walks across the water, and they're too scared to get the lesson that he wants them to get. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, they refuse to consider that Jesus might be the Messiah. You know why? Take a guess. They're scared. They're too scared to lose their position, their influence. It was fear that made the disciples run away. When Jesus was arrested, it was fear that made Peter deny his friend and Lord and Savior when he knew better. And it was fear that made these women run away and stay quiet. Look at the last sentence again. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. What do you think they were afraid of? It was true. They were afraid to tell anyone we saw an angel. Why? 
don't want to be called nuts. They don't want to be called delusional. They're afraid of being rejected. Afraid of being belittled. And that's where I think Mark's gospel ends. With these women running away in fear. We, we want more. I think that's why more got added. We want more. No, no, this can't be it. We want to yell at these women. What are you doing? You got to go tell someone. This is huge life-changing news. And as soon as we feel like that, I think Mark would say, now you get my point. Now you know where I'm going with this. You know, Mark never set out to write an end to the gospel, and he told us. You know how Mark began the gospel of Mark? I think he gave it a title. Mark 1.1 says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I don't think Mark's just telling, telling his audience, hey, I'm beginning now. Of course he's beginning now. It's the first thing written there. Here's what he's telling us. Everything I'm about to write is only the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It won't end when I'm done writing, and folks, it still hasn't ended now. What we get is just the beginning, or excuse me, the end of the beginning of the gospel. And yes, it ends with the first people to understand Jesus was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again just like he said. They believe it, they get it, and they're too scared to tell anyone about it. That story's been repeating itself for 2,000 years. Now, the good news, well, not the good news, but some more good news, we know they overcame their fear. We know because we have other gospels. They overcame their fear. They went and told the disciples, hey, wait a second, we got to get a hold of ourselves. If Jesus really did come back to life, if he predicted all this stuff, then none of our fears actually matter, ultimately. So they overcame their fear. They told their friends. Their friends came investigated. Guess how they responded at first? Fear and doubt. Until Jesus appeared to them. And then they were changed like, oh, wait a second. We get it now. We understand the cross. We understand the, resurrec the resurrection. Who cares if I'm scared? When I die, I'm not going to die. If they kill me, I'm going to live. And those frady cat disciples got turned into super evangelists that changed the world. They overcame their fears and it didn't matter. You can beat me, you can arrest me, you can execute me, but I'm going to tell people the message I've been given to tell. And the end of the beginning of the gospel finds us in the same spot as these women in verse 8. Because in just a minute, we're going to leave here and we all have been given the same message. 
don't laugh yet, but sort of by an angel. Do you know what the, the Greek word angel means? It just means messenger. It's just a messenger. You, we've all received this message from a messenger. And you know what we've been told? Believe it. And then go and tell. But that's a scary message. It's scary even to believe. So you're telling me, Matt, I have to believe. My only hope for eternal life, if there is such a thing, is to believe a Jewish carpenter was nailed to a cross and that's the punishment I deserve and that he was raised to life again. I have to believe that? The answer is yes. It can be scary to pin your hopes of eternal life and your hopes in this life to a message like that. But the fear doesn't stop then. Have you ever, if you believe that, have you ever told anyone it's what you believe? I'm not talking about telling someone else what they should believe. Have you ever told anyone, I believe in Jesus? I believe he died for me. I believe he rose again. If not, I'll bet I know why. It's been happening for 2,000 years. It's scary. And Jesus commissioned us to tell people what we believe and to urge people to believe what they must. That there's one hope and one name given among men by which we must be saved. His name is Jesus. So as we leave here, what's going to be our controlling factor? Everything else in the world I'd sort of rather do. My fear of what they might say or my marching orders for the one who died for me. Pray with me and we will end. Father God, I thank you so much for the plan of salvation, for the gospel. Thank you for the relatable characters in your word, especially this morning, those women at the tomb who knew the truth, but ran away too scared at first to say anything to anyone. God, every single one of us have been like that. We have all felt that fear, that, appre that apprehensiveness. And God, wherever our fears are, everyone here this morning, for those who are scared to even trust in Christ as Savior, I pray you'd give them just the courage to believe. For those of us who have believed, I pray maybe, Lord, we would be praying and looking just for an opportunity to tell someone else what we believe. And for others of us, Lord, I pray you would make us bold to overcome our fear, to share the life-giving, life changing, eternity sealing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we might be controlled by that faith and our hope instead of our fear and that you'd be glorified in those things no matter how people respond and all that we pray in your son's name.
Amen. Stand and finish with us. Thank you.